the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today, as it is each and every day from 3 to 5. And uh, we talk about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. Obviously, one of the largest issues of the day is what's happening in Israel. And have you ever wondered, you know, what are Christians doing in Israel? And how do Christians partner with Jewish people during this time or during times of any crisis anywhere? An organization that is a partner of us here at Salem is International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. They've got a program on KKLA called Bless Israel at 12 p.m. on Saturdays. Same program is on KPRZ in San Diego at 9 a.m. on Saturdays. With me is the president and CEO of the Fellowship of Christians and Jews, Yael Eckstein. Yael, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, thank you. Coming to me live from uh, Israel, so I really appreciate your time uh, during this time. Yeah, it's this is what's most important to be together in fellowship, to be sharing with each other what's happening in our countries and to build those strategic bonds of friendship and support for one another. So what's happening where you are right now in the country, in Israel? So you know, all of the news, I think, will be focused mostly on uh, what's happening in Gaza, of course, but there are still rockets flying and other tensions, of course, in, in Israel. What's uh, What's happening where you are? Well, something I think is really important to remember that I don't think most people realize is that Israel is the size of New Jersey. Yes. We are a country with 10 million citizens, and 2 million of those are Arab, Druze, Muslim, Bedouin, Christian, uh, over 20% minorities in Israel who have full and equal rights. And so we are a tiny country. So when we talk about what's happening on the border of Gaza, um, the farthest place in Israel is around two hours drive from there. So mm. it's affecting everyone. Yeah. There are rockets in Tel Aviv. There are rockets in Jerusalem. Uh, right now, there are fires in northern Israel uh, from Hezbollah um, that they fired. And so in the past three weeks, we've had rockets from the, the south, the Gaza Strip, the north, Syria and Lebanon, and even Yemen has sent over rockets and drones to attack Israel. So for a country that's the size of New Jersey, this is affecting everybody in a very deep way, not only because everyone knows and loves someone who was kidnapped or killed um, on that Saturday on October 7th, um, but because we continue to feel the rocket attacks, the um, tangible actions following those calls for our destruction that the terror groups surrounding Israel have been doing since 1948. That's right. I think people sometimes don't realize that with this terrorist attack, every single person in a country the size of Israel, every single person knows somebody, uh, if it's yeah. not them, who is uh, directly affected. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a major deal. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we want to talk about what the uh, fellowship uh, does together. So, Yael, how did you wind up in this role? 
Well, so my father, Rabbi Chiel Eckstein of Blessed Memory, started the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews 40 years ago. And so many people think that I was kind of born and bred to be in this role. Uh, but the truth is, up until I was around 20 years old, I didn't even really know what my father did for a living. Mm. <laughs> when I was growing up, it was so controversial. First of all, it was just a small organization. He built it from nothing. And when he started this new and what was seen as radical idea of Jews and Christians working together, he was ostracized in much of the Jewish world and much of the Christian world. It was a new idea that was scary to both. And so um, my father worked very, very hard to fulfill this, what he called a calling of bringing together God's children, just as it says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together. And this was his calling. This was his life work. But he didn't want to put the burden on his children. He got death threats. He got he got ostracized. He got written up in newspapers. And he didn't want to put that on his children. So it was really only when I was 20 years old and came to Israel and started to see firsthand the work of the fellowship that I was blown away. And I looked at my father and I said, Abba, I have to be part of this. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he didn't want me to experience that same level of kind of personal price that he had to pay um, mm -hmm. to do something that that is so high profile, so hated by many. But um, I, from the second I saw it, I, I knew that this was prophetic. This is biblical prophecy coming to fruition. I was moved by it. I was led by it. And uh, and and I moved my way up from putting stamps on envelopes for minimum wage for a year and a half that my father thought that would make me want to go to law school um, to finally my father saying, this is my calling. I know the risks. I know the price. And I want to take it. And uh Worked side by side with him uh, for around 15 years till he suddenly passed away. And then the board of director voted me in uh, as, as president and CEO. So you uh, did you go to law school? Or you didn't go ultimately. I ultimately didn't go to law school. I ended up fo following the path of my father. I yeah. have uh, I, I studied in college. I studied uh, uh, Jewish history and English literature um, and, and uh, sociology. But no, law school was not for me. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. I went to one year of law school and uh, that was it for me and became a pastor. Definitely the right decision. So <laughs> a recovering litigator, they call it. Right, right. My dad yeah. said whenever I left law school that he thinks that's when I got saved. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh -huh, right? So, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, you're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And uh, tell us about the fellowship and the work that you do in general. And then I want to talk about, you know, after that, the work that's going on right now, obviously. So what does uh, this fellowship do? Well, everything that the fellowship does is rooted in the Bible. We are the largest philanthropic organization in Israel, representing millions of Christians around the world. And the programs that we have on the ground are based on three different areas. One is Aliyah, which is bringing the Jewish people home from all four corners of the earth. We're focused mostly on the former Soviet Union, so Ukraine, different Arab countries, so non-Western countries that we're bringing Jews home from, um, just as Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied. 2,000 years ago, and it's 
Christians that are making this possible, which is so inspiring and and moving. Um, the second uh, program that we have is for poverty, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, to focus on uh, the elderly and the orphans, just as the Bible outlines. And the third is the area of security, to be the watchman on the wall. The guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Comfort, comfort my people. That all these three different areas of programming are based on God's directive of where we are called, what charity is, what a fast is, and uh, we are uh, consumed by that work day and night. Mm. You know, when this crisis happened uh, after the terrorist attack, and we've been talking about it pretty regularly on our show, you know, one of the things that I think even for myself and for many of us became aware of is how ignorant we really are about Israel, about what's happening inside the country, what the country is like, what the current uh, situation is for Jews around the world, uh, even before, obviously, this terrorist attack. And you're right in the middle of it. What would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions that the world has um, about Israel and the work that you're doing? Well, I think that um, people say this beautiful tagline of free Gaza or free the Palestinians. And I don't think that they realize that what the Palestinians and the innocent civilians and what Gaza needs to be freed from, if you care about civilians, is from Hamas terror organization who's currently reigning over them with horror, terror, and death. Um, Hamas is a terror organization that took over when Israel, Israel used to have Jews in the Gaza Strip. And in this vision of peace and living side by side in unity and giving the Palestinians the first step to their own state, we gave them the Gaza Strip, which is a beautiful piece of land on the water, on the ocean that could have been just like the booming um, uh, tourism center of the Sinai Peninsula or any of the other Arab countries. And uh, there were Israel invested a lot of money in building greenhouses and leaving them all the different things that they would need to have a thriving economy and succeed. And uh, within the first week of Israel giving over that land, um, there were a lot of people there who wanted freedom, who wanted democracy, who wanted to see it be a beautiful, flourishing place. And Hamas terrorists took over killed them all, their own people, Mm -hmm. knocked them off of rooftops, killing them, dragging them through the town. There weren't elections because they killed all the people who were going to go up against them. And since then, in 2005, they have been holding their own people hostage. Women don't have rights. There's no diversity. There's obviously no gay rights. There's no freedom. There hasn't been any elections. Um, And so when people say free Gaza, for us here in Israel, it's very funny. Like when you see, I saw the other day, like, like queers for Gaza. And it's like, they would kill you right. in a second. You know, they like, even if you showed your hair, they would kill you. You know, all these different, it, it, if it weren't really happening, it sounds like it would be, it would be one of those like Saturday night live skits, you yeah. know? Um, and so Israel's a democracy a freedom, freedom of minorities, freedom for everyone. And, um, and so it's just ironic that somehow Israel was attacked. We have over 230 innocent people that were taken from their homes as hostages in the Gaza Strip. You're talking about nine-month-old babies who are still nursing. You're talking about elderly Holocaust survivors and 1,400 peace activists 
The people who they took and killed are people who are driving Palestinians from the border to Israeli hospitals to get medical care. They would bring them to their house to drink coffee. And these Palestinians that they were taking care of in this vision of peace and this beautiful vision of brotherhood, these these were actually terrorists who were mapping out the kibbutzim, the city, so that they could go and massacre everyone. And it's just, I think for the people in Israel, even though in Israel we have all different political views, it is infuriating and it just baffles us how somehow we have become the aggressors here right. <laughs> after what happened. I think what we're seeing, and we're seeing this certainly in the United States and we're seeing this in Western countries, is the extent of the reality of anti-Semitism, what it really is, yes. that it's it's more than just some sort of feeling against a group of people. It's action that's taken against a group of people uh, that is systemic. And that's part of the work that you guys are dealing with because at the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, because Jews are being forced out of countries all around the world, actually, because of anti-Semitism. Yeah. And this is something I think that maybe people don't realize is going on. And that gets to uh, your work here. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ukraine, for example. My understanding is uh, the uh, fellowship helped take a lot of orphans out of Ukraine because of that war. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you just touched on is something that is the core of everything that's happening now, and that's anti-Semitism. Yeah. And anti-Semitism is not new. For the Jewish people, every generation, it's somehow reared its ugly head from the Nazis to the Inquisition to the, I mean, every generation has had its fair share of of, of anti-Semitism that expressed its way itself in different ways. And I think we were naive to think that this reality now is different, that because we're so educated and connected on social media and you see everything that's done, that anti-Semitism can't happen now. And for me, the way I look at it is that anti-Semitism is nothing new. I'm not surprised by the level of anti-Semitism. What surprises me and encourages me, I shouldn't say surprises me, but I should say what's different in this generation than any generation before is the millions of Christians who are boldly unapologetically standing up and saying, I stand with Israel. I stand with justice. I stand with God. I stand with life. Because we know the Corey Ten Boons. We know the righteous Gentiles during the Holocaust who, who, who risked their own life to save a Jewish families. And in Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, the Holocaust Museum, we remember many of those people. We even have a forest that's planted for the righteous Gentiles. But I look at what's happening today, and there isn't a small forest of righteous Gentiles. There isn't a small book that would be able to be filled with their stories. There is, it would have to take over the entire country if we planted a tree for every Christian that stands with Israel right now. And that's the story that's new, that Christians are standing with Israel. They are reading the scriptures, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they are doing that. I got a note from my friend Penny Nance, who's the president of uh, Concerned Women of America. And she said she reached out to all of her students and said, go join Israel rallies on your campus. And they wrote back and they said, there are none. And Penny said, okay, I understand the reason why there are none is because the Jews don't feel safe to have them. So you go out in the name of Christians and have pro-Israel rallies and let the Jews join you. And so that's what's new. That's what I find as, as the anti-Semitism is rising again 
okay, that's always happened. I'm not shocked by that. Right. But the fact that so many friends are standing up and saying, I'm a Christian, I stand with my brothers and sisters, the Jewish people in Israel, that's new. And I believe that's what's bringing so much joy to God. You mentioned how I think that's such an important time as this, that it yes. should always be a time to to stand up against anti, anti-Semitism, right? But I think that we are at a time when you don't really have a choice. I think that right now, mm. not that you should, right? But you, you, as Christians, you really have to stand up against this kind of hatred and and for our our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters who are persecuted. It's scary what's happening in our campuses. Um, and the, there's ignorance and then there's not ignorance, right? There's, there's ignorance where I don't know what this thing means on the sign that I'm, uh, you know, chanting, but then you learn what it means. And do you put the sign down? Do you stop chanting that or do you keep going? Right. And we're seeing some scary, scary times here. I'm glad that, that, that what you're seeing is Christians standing up, uh, with you. And that's what your organization, uh, does together. So getting to some of the work that actually is done. Um, Jews are are persecuted all around the world in different ways still. Um, yes. And we definitely have seen that in uh, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. So in, in Russia and Ukraine, the fellowship has been very active there because there's the Jews who remain in, for example, Ukraine, around 150,000, 200,000 are the Holocaust survivors or the next generation. And so when this war broke out, it was a huge message of support that it was Christians who came in as they're fighting another war, as they're being relocated again for the second time in their lives following the Holocaust from the same place, the same former Soviet Union. But the difference this time, once again, is Christians coming in and saying, here's food, here's uh, heat for the winter. The There's no support network in Ukraine. You don't have a government who's providing subsidies. You don't have a government who's providing housing. Even before the war, the elderly pension was the same as during times of communism, which was around $2 a day. But the prices are of Europe. You can't live on that. So the elderly are growing their own fruits and vegetables. They're picking nuts from the forest. But suddenly now these Holocaust survivors are 90 years old. They can no longer do that. That we saw a lot of Holocaust survivors dying. And so the fellowship brings them food for the winter and says, this is from Christians who love you. And so when the war broke out, we needed to get that message out. We had to save lives. We had to help people that we went in with uh, ambulances and volunteer doctors to literally evacuate sick Holocaust survivors from their homes that were under attack in eastern Ukraine or in Odessa would go in with the ambulance, take them out through Moldova, because in Ukraine, all the airports have been closed from the day the war began take them out through Moldova, and on a special medical flight, fly them to Israel. And so uh, we did this also for the orphans. The first day of the war, there were rockets that were hitting one of the children's homes that the fellowship sponsors there. Mm. And we got a call that they said, it's not safe. There are rockets flying everywhere. We have to leave. And they were on the road, on the run for three days. They got to the border. They're with 100 children and only around 10 or 15 adults um, that they took. Everyone who was over over 12 years old and said, okay, you're responsible for one little kid. You're suddenly the adult. And they walked over the border in the snow, in the winter. 
And it was a miracle that they got to Israel. I was there to greet them with uh, uh, who was then Israel's prime minister, Naftali Bennett. And it was a huge celebration in Israel that, you know, following the Holocaust, it was so symbolic where the Jews had nowhere to go. Suddenly now there's a war. You have these children who are at risk and they're able to escape and come to Israel. And they resettled in Ashkelon, which is a beautiful southern Israel town, a thriving town with tens of thousands of people on the beach, beautiful location, full support. And they finally got settled with school and activities. And and when the war broke out on October 7th, Ashkelon, southern Israel, was once again bombarded with rockets. And once again, we got that call, we have to leave. And so the fellowship said, we're here with you. Um, But actually, the home front command of the Israeli government said, it's not safe yet. You can't get in a bus and leave. There's too many rockets. You can't be on the road. You have to be in your bomb shelter. So for around two days, children were in their bomb shelter. And the second we got the approval to move them to a different children's campus that the fellowship sponsors in central Israel, we brought them. So there were rockets falling all around, but thank God they arrived safely. And still now the rockets have reached central Israel. They're still going to their bomb shelter, but it's a little bit less often. That is a wild story. Just And it's so sad. I'm just thinking about these kids. This is their experience growing up is bombing in one town. They get moved to a nice place and then bombing again. Yeah. Uh, it's going to affect yeah. them their entire life, obviously. 100%. Yeah. We're getting psychological treatment for them also. And we're also trying to focus on this message, though, that will always be there for you. Yeah. There will always be Christians and Jews around the world that wherever you are, we'll make sure you're safe. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. The website is ifcj.org, ifcj.org. You can go there and learn more and also donate. Uh, do you have a minute to stay with me for another segment or do you have to go? You're live from Israel, sure. so I want to respect your time. All right, we're going to Thank take a little so break. Much. We'll come back with Yael Eckstein. And uh, as the Pastor Scott Show continues, stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you. With me, live from Israel, is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. You can learn more about this organization at ifcj.org. Also, they have a show on uh, KKLA and KPRZ on KKLA in Los Angeles. It's at 12 p.m. It's called Bless Israel. And on Saturday at KPRZ in San Diego at 9 a.m., same program, Bless Israel. Uh, Yael, welcome back. Um, And uh, we've been talking about the work that you guys do. Tell me about what it was like when this attack happened on October 7th. Uh, Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine that day from your perspective. It was – it changed this country probably forever in ways that we still don't fully realize because we're, we're still in it. As we're having this interview, I'm still listening with one ear for the code red siren that I'll have exactly 60 seconds to go down into my bomb shelter. And there've been quite a few meetings that I started off zoom meetings with 15 people. And at some points there was only one or two people on because everyone else had to be in their bomb shelters. So that's the reality right now. But, but the time that it changed was on October 7th on Saturday that we heard the uh, 
about the attacks, that there were full parts of Israel under Hamas rule, under terror rule, that there were hundreds of people killed, that there were people kidnapped, and that terrorists were still roaming Israel. And so the fellowship has been in the area of security for since 2006, since the last, the second Lebanon war. And we've built over uh, 3,500 bomb shelters, and we've equipped hospitals, and we've donated bulletproof ambulances and bulletproof emergency vehicles. And so immediately we started to mobilize by calling all of our partners and getting our volunteers on the ground to be able to do whatever they can as soon as we heard a need. And that was the moment that I realized the huge impact of this terror attack that only was discovered by the rest of Israel and the world a day or two later, that suddenly the helpers and the responders became the victims we tried to call our partner who is the head of welfare in the Shkol region, who we've worked with for a long time. She was kidnapped by Hamas. She was in the Gaza Strip. We called the head of security of a different region who we've been working with for the past 15 years. He was one of the first fatalities. He was killed while trying to protect the people in his town. We called someone from the municipality of a city down south that we've worked with forever. Their family answered and said that they were killed. We started looking for the elderly who we care for and bring food for on a regular basis. We pulled up the list of the 17,000 people across Israel, elderly, who receive food every single week from the fellowship. These are Israel's weakest citizens, over 80 years old, no family support, Holocaust survivors. We start calling them the first two people that we called were killed. And so suddenly you realize it's just me that's left. If I don't go in the field right now and help, there is no help there. The municipal social workers who are usually the first ones to get to the scene of a rocket attack, it's their homes who are hit. The first responders who are the ones who are protecting their citizens from the terrorists, it's them who were killed. And so the fellowship, as there were still uh, terrorists roaming the city, got food, got water, and went around to most vulnerable people, delivering it to the bomb shelters. We took out all of our uh, uh, reserves of bulletproof vests and distributed it to all the people who were going down south to replace those first responders who were killed. No one else was able to do this. No one else had bulletproof vests. I remember that first day I was watching on primetime TV. They were reporting live from down south. And it was nobody knew what was going on. They're talking to someone who's driving to southern Israel. And all of a sudden, terrorists start shooting at him. And he puts on his bulletproof vest and gets out of his car, lies on the ground. He's in a live firefight on TV, on live TV. And he's wearing a vest that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews just gave to him. His life is being saved on live TV from Christians around the world. And when uh, after 30 hours, when the people who were in those front kibbutzim, that one in four people were killed or kidnapped from those towns, the ones who were freed after 30 hours, they were freed, but they didn't have shoes. They didn't have food. They didn't have water. They didn't eat or drink for 30 hours that they were locked in their bomb shelters. The fellowship was there to give them the food and water, the first ones when they got freed from their bomb shelters. And so it made me realize this sort of responsibility that the fellowship has on the ground in Israel, that when you have partners in every area, when you have volunteers in every area, when you are already meeting the needs of the poverty, suddenly you have to be able to shift during times of war to continue to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the poor under any circumstance. That's an incredible, incredible story. I was thinking 
you know, I deal a lot with different mission organizations. Uh, none of them are handing out bulletproof vests. Yeah. You know, and yeah. going into uh, maybe someplace, but uh, not like that. You know, thank you uh, for doing that and for everything that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is doing. Uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She's the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, and who uh, we are a partner with here at KKLA and KPRZ in Salem. And uh, you've been in our prayers and, you know, obviously our conversations, and it's good to stand with you. Uh, for Israel at this time, and we thank you for your work. How can we best help? You know, how can, if somebody's listening, and how can we best help the work that you're doing right now? Pastor Scott, thank you so much. Um, I would say first and foremost, I believe in the power of prayer. So don't stop praying, please, for me, for my family, for the people of Israel. I continue to pray for you as well. We need each other now more than ever. So continue to pray. And if doing something like delivering bomb shelters. We've placed 30 bomb shelters on the northern and southern border in the past two weeks. So placing bomb shelters, delivering food to elderly in their bomb shelters, delivering those bulletproof vests, those are the greatest needs right now, those three things. Mm. And so if you're led, uh, your listeners are led to to join us in helping to provide those life-saving gifts to the people of Israel, you can go to ifcj.org. That's ifcj.org. And everything we do, I like full transparency. And so you can follow everything what we're doing every single day on the ground in Israel on my social media, Yael Eckstein on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and you can see pictures, videos, real-time updates from the ground of how Christians around the world are saving the lives of Jews in Israel. Do you post regularly on those uh, sites? Very regularly. I really, it's very important to me that people aren't just giving and trusting us with their money, which is a huge honor, but that they actually see the difference they're making, that we are, uh, uh, that they're planting good seed into good ground. And so every day I'm posting updates on new projects of the fellowship that we're developing and implementing every single day. So I think it's a fascinating thing to watch where we're delivering the vests. The hospitals are saying thank you to Christians for enabling them to have the, for example, right now down south, there was four direct hits on a hospital, um, Barzilai Hospital. Thank God just recently, the fellowship made the NICU and labor and delivery unit bulletproof and bombproof. We made mm. it completely bombproof. And that saved the lives of all the people in there, the NICU babies and the labor and delivery women. And so uh, I got a video from the CEO who was who, who explained we had a direct hit and you saved the lives of these people. Um, so that's on social media. You could just see everything, how the people of Israel are so appreciative. You know, I think that it, the social media aspect of all this is interesting because there, you know, there's a lot of fake stuff on there. And unfortunately, we've done some you know discussion of how to navigate that. But I also think there's a part of this that is helping Israel because I think we're able to see, and some of it I wish people didn't see because you can't unsee it, the brutality of what happened. But I do think it would have been hidden from the world, but for what is able to come out in social media. Um, And on the positive side, to be able to look at your sites and to see the work that's being done to really care for people, I think also is very positive. Uh, in the sense that there is good that can be done here and there is something for us to get involved in. Yes, 100%. Even with the videos, Pastor Scott, people questioned if it really happened. Right. And Israel was put in a very difficult position because um, they didn't want to publish the most gruesome 
videos Mm -hmm. of a baby being cut open from the mother's womb, beheaded, and the mother burned, just one example. They didn't, out of respect for the families, they didn't want to publish those. And out of respect to the viewers, you know, that that they don't want, Israel's not barbaric like that. And so people, even with all the video circulating, still questioned it. And so Israel decided to do was to get um, a group of journalists, around 100 journalists, that they would show these authenticated videos and pictures to. And a lot of the journalists left in the middle, left crying. They couldn't even watch it. So, um, yes, social media, you see how important it is in this, that if with the pictures and videos, people are questioning if it happened, I can't even imagine without it. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, can I pray for you before we go and, and uh, your organization? And uh, you. my guest is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And uh, there's so much more, really, that we can talk about. So hopefully we'll be able to talk again uh, soon and talk about this. But uh, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this opportunity you know, it, and it sounds funny to say that, but but that we have an opportunity to help people who are in need, and in particular the fellowship of Christians and Jews. And and I pray, Lord, that we would recognize the suffering and that we would be discerning of what is true on these things. And yeah. we thank you for Yael and uh, the her ministry, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. We ask that you would protect her and protect everybody who works for them, all the missionaries. Yeah. We pray for everybody who is being helped. We pray for a swift end to these hostilities and an end to the the actions of terrorists um, in all of this. We, we pray, Lord, for um, the hope that we have in you to be seen by, by everyone uh, in all of this. We thank you for our time today. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, well, thank you for being. You're thank you. Thank, thank you, you for so being much. with me. And uh, I am so sorry that you're going through this. At the same time, I'm glad you're there. Clearly, a call in your life uh, for this time. You know, I think uh, we don't know where this is going to go, but it's like you said, it's not surprising. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, at the end of the day, there is uh, truth that will prevail over. Uh, the philosophies of Hamas and other groups, uh, the status of Israel and the need uh, for Israel, for uh, Jews all over the world uh, to have a homeland. Uh, Amen. We thank you. Thank you for your support, for your wisdom, for speaking the truth. I know today sometimes speaking the truth can be uh, vulnerable. You can get hated for it. And the fact that we have friends who are willing to put themselves in that potential line of fire um, on the social scene, on the boycott scene, on, on in order to say, I stand with Israel, something that we don't take lightly, and the Jewish people and the people of Israel will never forget. So thank you, Pastor Scott. You're welcome. My guest has been Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. You can learn more and uh, participate. You can donate, learn more at ifcj.org. You can also listen to Bless Israel Saturdays at 12 p.m. on KKLA and uh, Saturdays at 9 a.m. on KPRZ in San Diego. And uh, I really encourage you to go to ifcj.org, check it out, and uh, it's a great way to get involved. And you can follow Yael Eckstein on her socials. It's Yael Eckstein, right? That's how... Y-A-E-L-E-K-S-T-I-E-N? Yeah, you'll find it like that. Yeah, E-C-K-S-T-E-I-N. But you'll find it. All right, we'll find it on there. All right. (laughs) Gail, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Pastor Scott. God bless you. All right, God bless you. All right, we'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues in just a moment. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you again today. We talk about issues of the day uh, from a Christian perspective around each and every day from 3 to 5. You can follow me at Pastor Scott Show, Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, at Pastor Scott Show. So give me a follow. You can also get the podcast of our show uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show and uh, click subscribe and share that. Earlier in the show this hour, we had Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. There's so much that we can talk about, you know, there with what's going on in Israel and what uh, we can do to be helpful. And obviously the whole situation is really terrible. You know, she said something that I want to, that I want to reemphasize because, you know, when we talk about this, there is, you know, a tension with uh, people dying on both sides and a tension in what do we do to help people who are suffering in, in both ways. And I think part of that tension that we have to recognize is, number one, that no governments are perfect. So there are things you can criticize the Israeli government for and all of that. That's all fine, you know, to to do. You know, the Bible criticizes the Israeli government, okay, Israel's government all the time. Um but you have to make sure that there's not a moral equivalence between the barbarism of terrorists and the reason why they do it um, and the reason why Israel does what Israel does. It is a response to that. And if you don't think so, I would just encourage you to really investigate some things. You know, there was uh, all these protests that are happening. Uh, there was a sign that somebody was carrying, and I've seen the sign a few times, but this one place I really you know, got a close look at it. There's a young college girl carrying the sign, and you know, the interesting thing about the sign is that it said, rocks, the rocks and trees will cry out. And it kind of had a drawing of, of a grassy area and a tree, and there was like a couple of rocks sitting on this grassy area. And the sign that she's holding in this pro-Palestine rally was, the rocks and trees will cry out. And I wondered, does she know what that is for? Do you know what that's for? Do you understand what that statement means? I think what it's being, what they want you to believe, maybe it's what she believes as a student, that what it means is the rocks and trees will cry out for justice or the rocks and trees have seen, you you can come up with a lot of, you know, statements, you know, Jesus once on, you know, Palm Sunday, you know, said the rocks are going to cry out, right? That there is a, a Middle Eastern notion of the natural world being able to cry out at injustice or things like this. But this is what she, this is what that sign means. Uh, I almost hesitate to give her the benefit of the doubt, except that I know that our students have been taught things that are just simply not true. But in the Hamas charter, the Hamas charter um, actually has a statement about this. And this is what the Hamas charter says. Okay, it says the day of judgment, I'm quoting from it here, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees and the rocks and trees will cry out, O Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me, come and kill him. That's what that sign means. The sign is not about justice. The sign is not about anything related to peace or anything related to um, the, the truth coming out or or to help Palestinian people or anything like that. It is a quote that is deliberate about the murder of Jews. 
this is the Hamas charter. And the thing that she said, the Al Eckstein said, is that we need to free Palestine from Hamas. And I think that's a big part of what we have to do in this. By we, I just, I mean the world. I mean that the world response has got to be in a place where we are for the freedom, even statehood of Palestinians, if that's what they ultimately want. Um, And I say if, because they've had that opportunity multiple times and it gets rejected. But I think it's usually rejected, obviously it's rejected by the leadership and the leadership is getting rich off of all of this. And that's part of why that happens. But, uh, you know, for regular people, there is a step here. They have been taught since children. If you if you read the Hamas charter and you go all the way through it, it is very religious, number one. It is very explicit. They're actually against peace. Uh, they are against ceasefire. It says the peace initiatives and so-called, I'm quoting again, the peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. That's Hamas. That's what it is. The Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels and arbitrators of the lands of Islam. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time and exercise in futility. And one of the things that we have to recognize, and these are the words of Hamas, okay? This is not some you know, statement by the president or some statement from the president of Israel or some other group. This is what Hamas says about themselves, that it is impossible and wrong, they would say, for Hamas to accept any peace agreement or negotiation. We saw earlier this week the Hamas spokesperson who is against a ceasefire says, we don't even want a ceasefire. What are you telling, talking about? He says, we are a people of martyrs. We, he said, we are a people of martyrs. I'd play the tape for you, but it's all in Arabic. But he says, you can watch it online. He says, we're people of martyrs. We're a people of death. This is, die is what we do. Now, he's speaking for the, the Palestinians. I don't believe that every Palestinian thinks this way. I think many Palestinians would prefer to live. I think that they would prefer to live in peace. I think some of them had some kind of maybe misguided hope that Hamas would take them in that route. But Hamas is the problem, and the whole philosophy behind Hamas is the problem. And when he talks about jihad, he's not talking about economic jihad. They're not talking about, you know, some kind of jihad that doesn't involve murdering people. No, it's murdering Jews. That's the point. It's bigger than wiping Israel off the face of the earth. It's to destroy Jews, period. Hamas's goal really isn't land, except to say that their belief is because Muslims at some point build a mosque and at some point have uh, a territory for any period of time. That means they own it forever. That means it's always been them. That's their religious belief. And that is their claim to the land of Israel. Um, it's, it's not even that they have an ancestral claim to the land of Israel. There were no Muslims before, you know, uh, what, 600 AD or something. Um, it's it's so interesting to me when we see these protests and the messages that are sent, how wrong they are, how Hamas would not even agree with those people who are supporting Hamas or those people who support the Palestinians, but in doing so are supporting Hamas. This is a place to pray. When you go through the the charter, it talks about art, that all of the art that is put together by Palestinians needs to be art that is in favor of the jihad, of killing Jews. That's what it says. So there should be no art that is just for art's sake. It should all be towards the jihad. The role of women uh, is specifically, it says, this is what it says, the enemies have understood that role, therefore, the role of women, that they realize that if they can guide and educate Muslim women in a way that would distance them from Islam, 
they would have won the war. They're saying, don't we keep the outsiders out because women have to be raised a certain way. They're opposed to educating women except in war and jihad. And what it goes on to talk about is that the women in the house and in the family of jihad fighters, whether they are mothers and sisters, they carry out the most important duty of caring for the home and raising children upon moral concepts and values which derive from Islam and educating their sons to observe their religious injunctions in preparation for the duty of jihad awaiting them. And when you go through the curriculum, and it says, therefore, we must pay attention to schools and curriculi upon which Muslim girls are educated to make them righteous mothers who are conscious of their duties in the war of liberation. The only purpose of women in Hamas is to make babies who will grow up to learn how to fight in jihad and die, become martyrs. That's the educational system. The educational system is only to raise kids to grow up and die in – to the boys to grow up and die in the jihad or women to grow up and have babies so that they can have boys to grow up and die in the jihad. That's, that is what this philosophy is. That is what has guided the education in Gaza Strip. This is what has – for the last 18 years. This is the educational system. That means that every kid growing up, this is what they have been taught, right? This is what they have been indoctrinated with, this idea that their purpose in this life religiously and spiritually is to kill Jews That's and infidels in general. That's very specifically laid out. That's not Pastor Scott's opinion. That's not some other – that's what you read in the Hamas Charter. That's one of the reasons I, I ask you all the time to read the Hamas Charter because it puts everything into perspective, the perspective of why this is happening. It helps you understand why Israel does what it does. You can agree or disagree with the tactics of Israel. You might even be right about some of those things, but you have to have something clear, is that they have to do something, because there is a group next to them that is not fighting for justice or peace or even land or even historical rights. That's not what this fight is about, from that perspective, it literally is about killing Jews. And so when you're carrying a sign in your protest that says, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, uh, that statement is about killing Jews. It's not about land, according to Hamas, according to people who are fighting this jihad. It's super important that we recognize that. That doesn't mean that you can't support uh, the safety and freedom for Palestinian people. But they're also going to have to learn the truth about how the world works and that all people should have the right to live. And, and I think all people should have a homeland if that is something that is necessary for them. Anyway, lots can be said about this, but it is worth pointing out that there is a truth um, behind all of the politics and all of the bloodshed and the terribleness of the whole thing and that there are philosophies in the world that are evil and that are wicked. And we must say so that there is a difference in one thing over another. All right. I know this is a heavy topic, but uh, it's part of the world we live in. We want to talk about it. And uh, thank you for listening. This is a Pastor Scott Show. You can follow me at Pastor Scott Show, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Pastor Scott Show. And you can get the podcast of this hour where, or any hour, wherever you get your podcast. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show and click subscribe. We'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.